Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I was uh, asking first service, um, man, don't you ever feel like you uh, just wish that the service would go on for two hours instead of one? But then I said, not this portion, but the thing that we were just... uh, just doing the opportunity to worship together, to hear each other's voices and to sing those old uh, hymns, but also some of the thoughts that people have added to them through the years. What a beautiful time. Pray that you are blessed. Uh, this next week, Tuesday, for many of you, we have um, small groups, uh, men's and women's discipleship, and all of those things canceled. They're not happening <clears throat> because what we do is we set aside time to pray as a church. Now, you might be thinking, well, I, I just have the, the day off, you know, I have the week off. It's just going to be light duty. Finally, I get a little bit of a, a break. Th- this is really not the time to uh, hide from your church time because it, this is going to be a sweet time uh, this Tuesday. And in fact, this Tuesday in particular, we have a special treat for you. We actually have uh, coming into our auditorium asking for you to pray Uh, over them and their ministries, five uh, pastors and their wives, uh, and uh, for a few of them, their entire family is going to be right here, um, asking that uh, this church would pray that they would be reminded of what um, they are called to do, who it was that called them into ministry, what they are being called to proclaim, that God would bless they and their families as they do that work, that they'd stay faithful to Christ, and that God would do amazing things in their churches. And they've heard that folks here would pray for them in those things. They're going to come here physically. They'll be in the room, and you'll be able to gather around those pastors. We're going to have them throughout the auditorium and pray for those people. You'll have to find out who it is when you come on Tuesday. But in addition to that, we're also going to have our folks from uh, Most Excellent Way, made the minister, some of our Be Bold guys will be here, and we're going to pray over them as well. Here are these ministers, these folks that we're calling the three gifts to the city, people that we want to be co-side-by-side leading with. And we're just going to not only call them friends, we're going to pray over them that God would bless them. They're asking for you to do that. It's going to be an exciting time. And then the second part of that, we actually have some folks that are in desperate need of prayer. There's sickness in their home. They're facing something that's hard. We have uh, some men, it's an exciting thing, that are about to graduate from that UGM, that New Life program that they have there. And they're saying, will you please pray that we'll stay faithful to the end and not only make it to the graduation, but stay strong. Not only a productive part of church and the community, but a faithful witness of what God can do in a life. And they're asking you to pray for them laying hands on them, blessing them face to face. You'll miss out if you're not here. So make sure you set aside time Tuesday. Take the rest of the week off. Don't even go to work. I don't care. But be here Tuesday night, okay? Are we good? It's going to be awesome. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. And this is one of those portions. We keep talking about it as you go through the book of Hebrews. If you see bold uh, writing and indented in the Hebrew script or the in the book of Hebrews in those scriptures, it's asking you to go back to the Hebrew scriptures and get your bearings. And so this is a whole passage that's just focused on Jeremiah 31. 
but it's talking about some concepts that he wants these readers to wrap their mind around, but it's written down because God wants the whole church to wrap their mind around them, and they are profound truths. But they're profound in a way that you cannot plumb the depths of them in one message. You can't do it. So in order to just kind of help us understand, I was thinking through what it's like to teach really deep, complicated things to folks who are just learning it for the first time. And I had stumbled across a while ago this TED Talk by a guy who was trying to teach quantum mechanics to kindergartners. Dominic uh, Wallerman, and he actually had four principles. He could say, here you are, quantum mechanics. You guys all, of course, can solve those equations. You understand what's happening right there. But how would you explain what is going on on the screen and the, the diagram of the basics of quantum mechanics in a simple way? How do you do that? He had four rules that actually turns out are four good rules When you have a deep knowledge of something and you're trying to share with folks who you're trying to draw along, any time that you're taking something complicated and trying to make it plain, four rules. It's a good set of rules for a sermon. We're going to try and follow it this morning. Four rules. Start off in the right place. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Start off in the right place. The second rule he has, don't go too far down the rabbit hole. You can explain all kinds of things and get into the weeds. Don't go too far down the rabbit hole. Just big principles. Third, clarity beats accuracy. More on that in just a second. And fourth, explain why you think it's cool. I'm going to share those things with you this morning. On that point, clarity beats accuracy. I want you to hear this because sometimes we mess this up when we're talking about things that are deep and profound and impactful in the Christian life. But we try to get too technical. He says clarity beats accuracy. The temptation is to give the most scientifically, he's speaking about science and quantum mechanics to kindergartners in particular. The temptation is to give the most scientifically accurate explanation. But these tend to be long and convoluted. It's better to come up with a simpler explanation that maybe isn't completely technically correct, but it gets the point across. It whets their appetite and they are drawn in to further exploration and discussion. That's what I'm hoping will happen this morning. There's going to be some things that are described here in scriptures. We're just going to give you a big picture of it. I hope it whets your appetite and pulls you into further discussion. But when Christ puts on display the new covenant, when he announces these things, when this is a, reminded to this group of Hebrew people that God has not forgotten them and the promises of God are not dead, They have the opportunity to walk in newness of life. There are a whole bunch of rabbit trails we could take, but I'd want to whet your appetite and ask you to consider it more deeply. So we will look at Jeremiah 31 eventually, but uh, we're just going to, because last time we read a chapter and a half, I had you sit. This time we're going to stand in honor of God's word. Hebrews chapter eight, verses seven through 13. God's word says this. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, see, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand and I led them out of the land of Egypt. I showed no concern for them, said the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant for this 
is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Each person will not teach his fellow citizen and his brother or sister saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he has declared the first is obsolete and what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. Do you believe that's true? may be seated. Father, as we pay attention now to this passage, I do pray that you'd help us not just to see a couple of technical aspects, some details that matter in this passage, but flood us with that real intent, the desire that you have to forgive and set free those who place their faith in you. This is your desire for us, the thing that you want for us to take away and to experience in a whole new way. Father, help us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Help us to see it in this passage. Help us to know that's your intention, a relationship with you. You've paved the way. Help us to rest in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of reminders. We just came through um, a long section in there. And at the end of that section, Hebrews chapter 8, it says this. Now, the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary, and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. It's important for us to remember when uh, we hear this imagery, sat down at the right hand, consistently what we do is we try to oversimplify in our own mind how certain things work. But if you remember, in that economy, back in that time, when Israel was being ruled, there were two areas, domains of of leadership that they had to consider. There was the rightful king in Israel. He had to come from a certain lineage, right? Judah. And that lineage comes to, through David the king, to Jesus Christ. The rightful ruler of Israel, the rightful ruler in that day, when Jesus Christ is heading to the cross, he is actually the king of Israel. And when he finishes paying for all of our sins, he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. Any judgment that happens in the future, every single thing that is about to happen, uh, happens by his authority, his hand. He is God, he is the power, he is the judgment, but he's also the one who forgives our sin. Amen? Right hand of the throne of power. But there was another right hand imagery that was there. They also had something called the Sanhedrin. It was their ruling body of those that had come through the tribe of Levi. Remember, there was also a high priest in Israel. And the high priest was called in only on occasions where they could not figure out how to rule when somebody had violated the the law of Moses, when they had violated the laws in the land and they were working through it. The Supreme Court of Israel came finally to the high priest and the Sanhedrin, the, uh, the 70 elders. And they would make a decision as a, as a group. And as your case was being decided, the high priest would be sitting up in the front of all of these people. And there would be a scribe on the left hand of the high priest. And if you were found guilty, the scribe at the left hand of the high priest would write down your name and what it was that the consequence was. But if you were found acquitted, 
free. The scribe at the right hand of the high priest would write down acquitted. Your name is there and it was forgiven, free. There is nothing left to do. Jesus not only takes his seat at the right hand of the throne of God, he is the power, he is the king of kings, but he is also right hand of the high priest. He is the one that only records for all the rest of history to anyone who comes into his courtroom and has placed their faith in him, you are acquitted. You are acquitted. You are acquitted. You are acquitted. There is no thing for you to do. It's all paid in full. Sits down at the right hand. And he says, I've declared they are righteous, they are clean, there is nothing left. You're free. Not only ruling power, but that high priestly power combined in one individual promised in the Old Testament. It was a conundrum, but it is seen perfectly in Jesus Christ. Now he's going to build on that imagery. He's the mediator of a better covenant. And he gives us this passage. I just want you to notice a few facts about the new covenant that are not only interesting, but they matter to you today. And the first thing I want you to see is that the new covenant is a covenant. Sometimes we say, do you want to know what that word means in the original language, right? And we'll give you some other uh, details. You want to know what covenant means in the original language? Covenant. But we forget what that means. It's a word that we don't really use. In in some places, uh, it's so antiquated, we only will use it in church, but we use it as kind of a, a symbol of a bygone era. It matters in Scripture, your context. And there's a couple of things that are consistent about a covenant throughout Scripture. The covenant would be given. A covenant would be... Um, express God would come and make a promise to a group of people. This happened six different times where God comes down and he makes a promise and there was a consistent trail that would accompany a covenant. The promise would be made. There would be a sign of that covenant that would be given. And then there's a period of time where you would wait and watch. The sign would remind you that that covenant was still in place, but you were waiting for its fulfillment. Just one picture out of those six, Abraham God makes a covenant with him, gives him the sign of circumcision. His people had to follow for all of these years. It would be 500 years until Abraham's people would be called the children of Israel. They'd be drawn out of Egypt. They would be heading toward the promised land. 500 years before that would be fulfilled in any great number. But it was 2,000 years before he would see that one who would bless the nations, who others would bow down to. And there is still some left on the Abrahamic covenant to be fulfilled. 2,000 years, and it is being fulfilled. And that covenant sign was carrying with them until Jesus Christ. William Barrick gives some rules for a covenant that are in Scripture that are important. Uh, He says the Mosaic Law, it's a different one. One of six covenants God made with Israel, all of which had five concepts in common. Here's the five. Their authority resides in God. They were given in a day of crisis. No covenant nullifies a previous one. That's a rule. Salvation from sin is not obtained by keeping the covenant. And a significant negative event followed the instigation of each one. We see that. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but also the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Significant events that follow even this new covenant announcement. The new covenant, another theologian has said, was originally given to Israel, includes a promise of fruitfulness, blessing, 
peaceful existence in the promised land. After the resurrection of Christ, Gentiles were brought into the blessing of the new covenant too. Acts 10 and Ephesians 2 tells us this. The fulfillment of the new covenant will be seen in two places, on earth during the millennial kingdom and in heaven for all eternity. We're going to see a physical fulfillment of the covenant. New covenant is the covenant, but there's a second thing I want you to see in this passage. Each of these build. The new covenant builds off the old. Look in your uh, Bibles there, and it says, finding fault with his people, he says, see, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with who? The house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like I made with their ancestors on the day I took them out of the land to lead them out of Egypt. Verse 10, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. Do you notice a group of people that God says, I haven't forgotten? Yes, in the New Testament, you and I, as Gentiles, we get brought into the fold. We get grafted into that tree. But we are ones that are supported by the, the God of the universe, the one who has historically had a people he was working through. We get grafted into these new covenant promises. But he is still providing for Israel and Judah. I have a picture uh, here of a tree This actually has two different kinds of fruit on it. It's lemons and oranges. How awesome is that? Uh, Lemons and oranges, you can see those oranges, they're they're turning uh, that bright color in there. This is what happens, by the way, when you allow fruit to ripen on the tree. It actually looks delicious. Uh, Now you can go find yourself an orange, you know, Fred Meyer, Winco, or something like that, and you bite into it after you've peeled it, and it's just dust. That's not it. But you have an original tree, a tree that is uh, rootstock, and these get grafted in there. But here's some uh, important understanding that you have to have when you're picking fruit from a tree that has these different, okay, things that it is producing. That branch that is grafted in and the fruit that comes from it, it cannot assume that it is the reason that the tree is thriving. It's not the reason that it is strong. The branch does not give sustenance to the root. The root gives sustenance to the branch. You and I only are able to produce fruit and do what we are called to do in this age if we are attached to Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's the promise of Scripture. That's the call of the New Testament. You and I are in that season. We get, by God's grace, to participate in what Jesus Christ has done. It's a free gift. But he has not forgotten his people. Can't go down the rabbit hole there, but there's much to whet your appetite. The church doesn't replace Israel. If you want proof of that, even in Jeremiah 31, look at two verses starting with 35 through 37 where he says, the only way that I'm going to reject Israel is if you can tear apart the atomic structure of the universe uh, and, and destroy everything that is. If the universe is gone, then I will forget. He's trying to double down and remind you, I don't lie. I follow through. And notice he's also still talking about laws. Verse 10. It says, for this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now we focus, and rightly so, in this age of grace that the law has passed, that we're no longer supposed to be under laws. We do need to emphasize that, but this is what God starts with. Do you know that even though you have been set free from the law, God still wants you to behave? Do you know that? Faith 
behaves. Just read the book of James, written in the New Testament to believers who ought to act like it. Faith still behaves. What he's saying is, no longer though, are there gonna be externals that will drive the change in your life. The internal processes will begin to change your life and it will become evident on the outside. Not laws to help you change, the spirit of God to help you change. But there should be evidence. There's an amazing story about George Washington Carver. Um, He was a former slave an African-American scientist and inventor, a brilliant man. And his whole desire was for some of these folks that had just been recently set free, he wanted to do something with the crops they already knew how to grow. He wanted to bring about some inventions that would allow those to be more profitable, that they would allow those crops that they already understood how to Uh, uh, bring into fruition that he would be able to give to them options so that they would be able to sell that and to make money and do well. He comes up with hundreds and hundreds of uses for a peanut through his inventiveness, a genius. There's a famous story though, where even with his degrees, all of his education, his ability, uh, he had signed up to go be a part of a university, but they hadn't asked very many questions. They just saw his pedigree and they accepted his application. He showed up to finish his doctorate. And as he arrived at that location, they discovered that he was an African-American and they sent him away. Now, famously in his biography, as he is writing down this storyline, he never names that university, that college or institution. E. Stanley Jones, as he's writing about that, he said that uh, in discussing that with him, what he described, the transformation in his own life, he had come to a faith in Jesus Christ and he said, Jesus gave me the peace that passes understanding, but he also gave me a peace that overlooks every misunderstanding. And I'm not going to ask you to carry forward something that God has let me let go change from the inside. He said, don't go cancel, attack, or harm. I'm going to show them that they missed it by the life that God allows me to live and what a transformed life it was. Hallowed. New covenant builds off of the old and it transforms us. Third, I want you to see here, in the new covenant, and this is where it begins to land, transformation happens from within. We just touched on that. I want us to dig in a little deeper. In the old covenant, there's these words that we have, atonement or covering. In the new covenant, propitiation, we are paid in full. He actually is is saying there, there used to be a time where under the old covenant, change would happen. External action would create change. In the new covenant, under as Christ is at work in you, internal unction creates change. These words were actually uh, used in both testaments, but one gets highlighted in one and another gets highlighted in the next. In the old, there was uh, under the law of Moses, this idea of atonement. And it first gets its flavor before we get to the law of Moses from the garden. How many of you remember the story about Adam and Eve? They make a decision There's a choice that is made and Adam and Eve find themselves after eating the fruit, suddenly aware of sin. They're aware not only of their disposition, but that because of that decision, they are separated from a holy God. And he normally would come to walk with them, 
but they ran from him. They are running away and hiding, and it's because the consequences of sin, their eyes are open to the distance between they and he, and they're hiding. By the way, just uh, it's a really a bad thing historically to play hide-and-seek with God. <laughs> he can find you. He's walking in the cool of the day, and what is his question? Adam, where are you? Do you think that he knew? He knew right where he was. He was having Adam actually go through the process of saying, I'm right here, of coming to him and saying, you know where I'm at, and laying it all down. And what does God do out of his kindness in that moment? He kills an animal, first time that we see blood being shed, and he takes those skins and he covers up the consequences of their sin, the the picture of it. They had made a decision and it was apparent that they had sinned and they saw themselves in the world differently and God just out of his graciousness covers up that nakedness. Now they were still dealing with the effects of sin but he covers that up and that's an important picture in the atonement. But there's a second picture that's used. I peeled this one for this service. There's a second picture there and that is the idea of uh, a band-aid. When Noah goes into the ark, it actually uses the word that we use for atonement. It says that he covered the ark with pitch. He pitched it with pitch or he atoned the ark. It's not just that you cover up the effects of sin, but when he covered the ark, it's a picture that gets brought up in the the book of Peter. Um, But actually what was happening was all of the rest of the world, the influence of sin, the impact of sin is all around them and the consequences of sin are all around them. And this pitch, this covering covered the ark so that the consequences of sin did not get in. That dirt, the destruction, judgment did not land inside the ark. God closes it up and he protects those people. It was completely atoned is what it says all the way around, pitched with pitch. We take a Band-Aid. And we will have a wound and we'll actually put that over something. But the intention of the Band-Aid, the Band-Aid doesn't heal, but the goal of the Band-Aid is to protect from more dirt getting on the inside. To protect for those consequences. But here's the problem with covering and with a Band-Aid. Anybody leave a Band-Aid on too long? What's constantly our problem is we can put a Band-Aid on something, but quite often we do not cleanse it well enough before we put the band-aid on. In fact, it is our nature not to do the work and cleanse. Here's the new covenant promise. I'm gonna cleanse from the inside. I'm gonna heal you from the inside out. A man by the name of Joseph Lister actually came across this. He was a surgeon. Uh, It looks like a stern old dude right there, but uh, he actually was a gift was a young boy in a famous uh, experiment that he ran that had broken his leg. It was a compound fracture. It had come through the skin. And the practice in the day was we need to make sure and and take the leg off before infection sets in and there is trouble. And they said it's going to be infected within three days. And that infection is so bad, it'll probably take his life. You've got to take the leg. But after setting it, he not only introduces the process of, of putting some carbolic acid and so an, another uh, ointment on there, wrapping that wound after he had cleaned it, but then irrigating that wound to be able to cleanse out that stuff that would get to the inside of the body and allowing the body to heal from the inside out. 
irrigating the wound, taking care of that with uh, some medicine. As the body was healing from the inside out, infection didn't set in, and it was considered a, a game changer when it comes to medical history. What Jesus is offering in this moment, what God is promising in the old and saying this got accomplished through Jesus Christ is instead of you trying to cover up or instead of you trying to put a Band-Aid on something, Jesus heals you, transforms you from the inside and takes care of it all. Isn't that beautiful? He pays in full. It's settled. The Old Covenant... You would do external actions. You can actually change a habit in 21 days. You just start doing something new. External action would create the change. New covenant, internal action. The spirit of God is moving. I want you to make sure you understand this. It's not salvation it's talking about here. Salvation has always been by faith. It's how do I experience the kind of change and look like the person that follows God. He says there's no longer any laws that you need to follow. You don't have to check any boxes. I'm going to change you from the inside. You will still look and act like a believer. You will look transformed, but it's going to be because your heart is rejoicing in who I am, not because you're following rules out of shame. You're set free. Now, now I don't want to get off of that point too quickly. I, I do want to tell you this. As I was working through this idea within the new covenant, This is the point to me that I feel like is so obvious, so evident, it's so consistent that we make it in the church, but it is also the point that we most often do not listen to as the Spirit of God presses it in. There are some of you here today that you came in and you look really saved. You're saved, you follow in the Lord, but that look that's on the face Maybe the engagement that you have with your spouse, the kindness that you talk to people around you with, the way that you talk to your kids in this space, you know it's addressing, you're checking boxes, but on the inside, there's something that you're still festering over. You have an experience being set free and you won't free the people around you from your rules and expectations. You live with expectations for others. You live with expectations that you put on yourself, your family, and it begins to fester. Following those laws, covering it up, is actually just leaving that sin in place. You're not asking for forgiveness. This is what the scripture declares. Today, you can walk out free. You can walk out free. This is what I am convinced of. In this auditorium today, one of you, Somebody here is convinced that that old life has trapped you, living by rules and regulations, and the people around you know you're just checking boxes, but inside your heart is just aching. You still feel shame. You still feel overwhelmed, and you're concerned, not that Jesus isn't enough. You're concerned that you aren't enough. You're also concerned, as you look around inside this auditorium, that these people will not accept it if you quit checking boxes and you live by grace. All right? You're afraid. If I announce this, Lord, I'm, I'm letting go. You set me free. I'm going to live by grace. I'm going to treat others with grace. You're afraid the folks around you won't accept it. I just want you to look to the right and to the left of you right now, and I want you to say, stop it. All right? Say it out loud. Stop it. 
Okay. Let me ask you this right now. In this group, if somebody were to say, I'm done living by rules, Lord God, forgive me, I'm living by grace, would you rejoice? Amen goes there. (laughs) You better live anticipating that. And this ought to be the safest place to admit, Lord, I've been living with lies, set me free. At the end of the service, this, this rug right here, this blanket, this sheepskin is for anyone who just says, today I'm laying down rules and I'm walking out with grace and I'm expecting somebody to take it, okay? I'm expecting somebody to say, Lord, I'm making a declaration. I'm setting that aside and I'm walking out with you. We had a guy come up right at the end of that, that final song, in the middle of the song and do that first service. God wants you to walk out free. Let me just wrap up with this. The new covenant is also has a profound goal. I, I want you to see this, and I know we're, we're just way out of time here. But Jeremiah 31, I, I want you to see this uh, in your God bless paper Bibles or on a phone. Take a look at this. I want you to see this on your own. It, and I want you to see something that happens here because it doesn't make the translation, even though this is a direct quote from the Old Testament. We miss one thing that is beautiful here. It says in verse 31, look, the days are coming. And then as if it's a little aside, it says, this is the Lord's declaration. And then he tells them, I'm going to do this new covenant. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It won't be like the old covenant. He goes through the whole thing that we just read. Verse 34, no longer will each one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me. Uh, just just a, a curious note for those of you who think right now um, the new covenant is, is finished, we're in the kingdom. I need you to be aware, even Jesus is saying, I've appointed those that are teachers and they are preachers and they are evangelists because we're still in a season waiting for this fulfillment to be complete where we have to teach people know the scriptures, okay? But the promise is here and it's unfolding. He has moved from law to grace. It's in our hearts. We're experiencing change. Know the Lord. And he says, this is how I'm going to do it. But then there's another moment that happens right here. And he says, for this is the Lord's declaration. He sets off this phrase as a banner. He puts it over the top of everything. And he says, this is what my real heart is. This is what I want in every single generation for people to get. This is the thing. I don't want you to walk out of here not knowing. I will forgive their iniquity. This is a promise. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. You put your faith in me, he says. I'm going to get you here. I promise to get you here. I will forgive their iniquity. This is a promise, a statement that he is making. And if you're a believer, he is going to get you to the place where you will receive that, where you will accept that you are forgiven, where you will see there's nothing left for you to do. He's going to get you there. Now, as it is with any birth, all right, some come easy, some come breach, all right? You can figure out this truth hard, but God's going to show you you're forgiven. You're his child. He is going to get you to this conclusion one way or another. And when you see it, it'll transform your life. He wants you to walk in it. 
There's a story, um, the best version of it that I've ever read, and it's uh, a true moment that happened. It's um, Philip Yancey in his book, Rumors of Another World, highlights the, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that happened in South Africa. A group of leaders, when there was a change of administration and they're desegregating in that country and all of this pain is coming out. And there were these people that were power hungry, that were destructive to their neighbors, that were ruinous all throughout the country. And they were all being held accountable for how it was that they were not only existing, but how they were maintaining power. It was terrifying some of the things that were being done in the name of um, law. And here is this group of judges. They were there, but a key part of this truth and reconciliation commission was they would have the actual person, the family that had been impacted by whatever these uh, leaders had done. They would be sitting in there and they were part of telling the court, this is what I think ought to be the consequence. There's a famous moment where a man by the name of Vanderbrock had uh, been brought before the court and this woman is sitting in front of them. And it's a horrifying story. It's not right for a Sunday morning to unfold all of the details, but the essence of it is this. Her 13-year-old boy was killed in front of her eyes. And then her husband, just three or four months later, is dragged out into the same street and killed. And the people who were doing this were trying to squash in the uprising in this little tiny community. They were trying to create fear and harm these individuals and they did that and then they burned all of the evidence, but they were discovered. And so this man Vanderbrock is brought on into the stage and this little old woman is looking at this man and it is evident, did you do these things? And he, it, it, he's caught, yes. And so the commission looks at her and they say, ma'am, what do you say we should do? And she says, well, the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to go to that ash heap that's outside my house. And I want you with your hands to scoop up those ashes and give my son and my husband a proper burial. She says, but then I asked the, the commission, would you allow this to happen? I want this man, Vanderbrock, to come to my house twice a month for the rest of his life. I want him to come and sit at my table. I want him to eat my food. I want him to experience my love. I want to love him like a son. And I want him to know that because of Jesus Christ, I forgive him and he can be forgiven. He's forgiven. I have a lot of love to give, she said. And I want him to experience that forgiveness. Well, as soon as she says this, there's this shock, but also this sense of grace that fills that entire place. And somebody starts singing Amazing Grace. Then the whole place starts singing it out loud. Amazing Grace. And, and the judge calls for him to come down to receive his first hug from this woman in the courthouse as people are singing out this hymn. It's a crazy moment. But Vanderbrock doesn't get to see it. Why? He passes out. He expected only shame and harm. It, it was something he had never extended to another person in his life. And he experiences transformation. How does that kind of grace get extended? That can only happen if Jesus Christ has taken up residence inside. And you no longer live with shame, guilt, and you don't expect it of other people. 
He's transformed. Folks, this is what I think that the Lord wants us to wrap our minds around. This is the beauty where he says, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins. The next couple of chapters unpack how it is that that can actually happen. But this is what Jesus Christ has for you today. If you are here and you've just come curious, you don't know if you have a relationship with Christ, you can walk out today knowing that you're forgiven and there's nothing left for you to do to be justified with God. He will help you live differently so you can get it right with the people around you, but you can walk out free. Amen? Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day, and he says if you will just believe in him, he'll forgive your sins. He gives you eternity. He'll come in and change you from the inside, but all you have to do is believe. Secondly, if you're a believer here and you've been checking boxes, You say that you are free, you say that you are forgiven, but you live with shame, you live with harshness, you live with expectations, you live bothered. Be set free. You can walk out today knowing for sure, not only you're free, but letting the people around you know, I don't have expectations. By the grace of God, live, and I'm gonna live as Christ set me free in light of that fact. Let go of expectations. You can be free and your family can be blessed. You can experience this grace he's describing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to wrap our minds around these promises, that we would actually believe that we are set free. Right now, Father, there is an opportunity for us to be able to make that declaration. Even right here on the stage, this sheepskin, this picture of one day living, searching for something to cover up, but now being able to walk out in newness of life. Father, I pray that every person here would experience that, that some brave soul who's been walking overwhelmed would walk out with a symbol of being set free. Father, we do pray that you just supernaturally would not only help us to trust these things, But help us to look at those around us that are aching for that kind of forgiveness, to live above and past all of the shame, free. I pray, Father, you'd help us to administer that, to be ministers of grace for those that need it. Help us to walk this out in Jesus' name and by his power. Amen.